From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, April 18, 2019. This is episode 100, Modems, Modems, Modems! Welcome to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I am Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as almost always, by Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hello, Jason. It is episode number 100, if uh, you're counting. We made it. Our spreadsheet has been uh, three-digit numbers preceded by a zero for a very long time. And now we've made it to number Mm -hmm. one. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, But it's still just another week, you know, where there's headlines. And we talk about them. There are headlines this week, as always. Oh boy, are there headlines. So we're going to be joined later by Lisa Schmeiser, our number one guest for episode 100. But first, number one, you know, lots of guests are number one on our hearts tied, but uh, she's literally in the in the spreadsheet. She's number one. Um, but first, the headlines, Qualcomm and Apple have been going at it like uh, two angry alley cats. Um, <laughs> just lots of screeches and then some blood and then it's quiet for a while and then there's more screeches and you're like, God, are they still at it? Uh, Apple claiming that Qualcomm's patents were overpriced um, and it all kind of came to a head this week in a trial in San Diego where uh, they spent an entire morning at this trial in federal court in San Diego with uh, Apple's uh, opening statement from Apple's attorney likened uh, Qualcomm to Kentucky Fried Chicken, which uh, was interesting in the sense that the idea there was that uh, they were saying that you buy some chicken and then, and then Qualcomm wants to sell you an eating license. And how that that was uh, not fair, um, and that there were lots of comments about the weird extended fried chicken metaphor. And Qualcomm's lawyer said that that was an inaccurate uh, thing, and it was the idea of like paying uh, paying a tax on top of paying for your chicken. And uh, everybody was like, "Well, this is going to be something to watch." At which point, both companies released press releases saying that they had settled. Usually, the settlements come before they actually start the trial, but uh, they had settled their dispute that Apple had provided Qualcomm with some. Cash. They had agreed on a patent licensing uh, regime to go out for many years, and that Qualcomm would be supplying uh, modems for iPhones and iPads, and you know whatever else Apple wants to stick a modem into, including this would presume uh, the 5G standard that's coming, yes. yeah. uh, where Apple was kind of backed into a corner because uh, Intel seemed to be unable to ship a 5G modem anytime soon. So in the end they settled and uh and steven we have lost one of our great one of the great technology soap operas of our time it's a it's a wild story and i think the the bit about apple being pushed into a corner and having to go to intel for 5g modems and radios i guess it wasn't going to work out or at some point they discovered it wasn't working out and uh, they had to to make this change I, i think it will be a long time before we know like the chicken and egg situation here like did intel go to apple and say hey we're not gonna be able to do this and then apple made right with qualcomm or was intel relieved that they made right with qualcomm so they backed out of it i mean who knows but uh clearly it it, uh in my mind at least this does not rule out the idea that apple will eventually take this on themselves right apple likes doing as much hardware 
themselves as they can. And if they are doing it in-house, then they don't have to deal with these other companies. So I don't think that rules this out at all. This includes a patent license, right? So the part of the idea here is that even if Apple makes their own chips for modem work in the future and they're staffing up, they've got a very large uh, group that they are, they're adding. They, they appeared with the you know mayor of San Diego talking about how great it was that Apple was going to be uh, expanding. Well, they're in San Diego because that's where the modem engineers are because that's where Qualcomm is. So they're still mm-hmm. going to do that, but they are going to have a license, right? Presumably they were going to have to pay a royalty to to Qualcomm regardless for their patents. So um, this lets Apple do that without having that level of the dispute. And presumably it gives Apple access to Qualcomm's chips in the meantime. And I, I, we, you know, I don't know the details of this and whether it's possible that Apple will get access to some of the Qualcomm kind of like designs where maybe an interim step is that they're integrating Qualcomm designs into a package that they design, do that for a while, and then come up with their own complete design. But it's going to be probably several years before they're able to build their own modems. And presumably in that time, um, they're going to start using Qualcomm's instead of relying on Intel like they have for the last year and a half. I think that all makes uh, a lot of sense. And you know, moving forward, it'll be interesting to see where Intel ends up in this. They, they've said they're going to focus sort of on the cloud end of things and sort of infrastructure side and not necessarily individual like personal devices. So we'll see if they still have a foot um, in this water. But, you know, the, the overwhelming thing in my mind with this is like 5G is not here now. Right. And it seems like it's a couple of years away. So like, sure. I guess it is possible that Apple's ready by the time 5G is prevalent enough for them to, to move to it. But I think Apple is right to to fix this with Qualcomm so they have other options, like you said, in case they're not ready in time. Right, right. It sounds like Intel, it, it's we don't know, you know, did they jump or were they pushed? But it looks mm-hmm. like Intel's inability to get a 5G modem by fall 2020 iPhone may have been the precipitating factor. And it's unclear, you know, I think the two scenarios are Intel saying, look, we're not going to, we're not going to guarantee your timeline for 2020 and Apple saying we can't wait that long because 5G, like all these cellular rollouts, the the tech hype machine gets churned up and, and you know, there are a million different stories about it and and people fly to various cities and uh, and and do 5G testing. And uh, we covered a story like that a couple of weeks ago. Where it's like, yeah, and it made the tester cry because it's super inconsistent and doesn't really work. And mm-hmm. uh, this is this is the truth of it. So Apple could get away with. Uh, waiting till 2020, I think. But the problem is that Intel's like, you know, very sketchy on whether they're going to make 2020. And what we don't really know, at least yet, and maybe it will come out, is whether Intel's new CEO looked at the modem business and said, you know, forget it. Because Intel announced like the same day that they're getting out of this business, which is like, mm-hmm. what a one-two punch. It's like Apple makes a deal with Qualcomm and Intel exits the modem business. So was that because Intel's new CEO said, you know, th- it doesn't make sense for us to be in this business. We're not doing a good job with this. We should just go away. Or is it that what happened is that Apple said, we are dissatisfied with Qualcomm and now um, the now we're going to make a, or we're dissatisfied with Intel. We're going to have to make a deal with Qualcomm because we got to hit that date. And that pulled the rug out from Intel. And then Intel had nothing uh, it could do at that point. There's, I've also seen speculation that um, when Intel's release mentions that they're considering, you know, licensing their technology or selling their technology or something like that, I've heard some people speculate that Apple may actually buy 
and this is pure speculation, but Apple actually may buy assets from Intel of their modem business, which is also kind of interesting. But like if you're spinning up, Apple is spinning up a modem design business and Intel is shutting one down. Would not surprise me if that's part of the deal, too. Who knows? Time will tell. Modems, modems, with modems, all things. modems. And I will say, um, Apple's intent to do this um, also fascinates me in, a, in another level. We've talked on other podcasts, you and I both, about the um, the the fact that laptops don't have Apple laptops don't have cellular capability at all, and why that is, and why they would do that because it's super convenient. Like if you've got had an iPad, I have an iPad that's cellular now, and it is uh, it's great. <laughs> like it's so good. <laughs> and, and 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 I was going to uh, I was testing out a laptop the other day, and I went to a or no it was a different iPad and it was a non cellular iPad and I went to a Starbucks nearby to do it and I was like. Oh right, I don't have cellular. I have to use their Wi-Fi, and uh, that's not not it's not very good. And I I liked having cellular at least as a backup if the local Wi-Fi was bad or just not even bother. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if Apple becomes a company that that has cellular technology as part of its core competency, which it doesn't yet, but maybe it will in the next couple of years. How that might show up in other products where they don't have it now does that make i mean sure it makes the watch more capable the 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 iphone more capable the ipad more capable but i wonder if that's the thing that finally gets them to build laptops that do especially since you could do e-sims and things like that now you can do it all in software you don't have to have a a sim card slot for your laptop um if they would uh go down that route route would you be interested in a mac with uh with uh, uh, cellular? Uh, absolutely. I mean, like you said, in the iPad, it's so just freeing to be able to use it anywhere or if you're someplace where the public Wi-Fi is sketchy, just turn on the cellular thing. Mac OS itself needs some optimization for that. Uh, if you tether, you know, uh, something like trip mode uh, should be your best friend, which is an app that says, hey, don't let photos, you know, suck up all my bandwidth. Don't let, you know... Uh, these big like data heavy applications that are more often on the Mac, like let's just throttle those while we're here on tethering it. Something like that, I think would need to be built into the system. So you have more control, but absolutely to have it in my MacBook pro would just be, be so helpful so many times throughout my year. Yeah. I, I am still a little bit baffled about why they haven't done it yet, but maybe this will be the thing that pushes them over the edge. Cause I, it is just very convenient to have it there. And I know you can tether, you know, tethering exists. Tethering is a hack, right? It, it's helpful, but having it in the device is better. And these days, you're mostly paying a small monthly fee for an added device and then using a shared pool of data. And that was one of the things that really made me realize that there was not, other, other than a little bit of expense, uh, it was really, you know, a no-brainer because, tr- you know, tethering to my iPad, I was using the same data pool and it was way less convenient. And then they disconnect, and then you have to reconnect them, and all of that. And just having it there, so I would love to have that on my on my laptop as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we will see. So modems. Who knew modems, cellular modems, were so interesting? But it turns out they're really hard to make. Before we move on, I, the other observation that I wanted to make and, and see what you thought about was, uh, boy, Intel. What happened? Remember, Intel was mm-hmm. the company that could do no wrong. That that stood astride the technology industry the wintel alliance microsoft intel dominant and mm-hmm. 
they are like the gang that can't shoot straight, right? Like they're failing in mobile processors. They've failed in cellular technology. They're still mm-hmm. out there making PC, you know, chips like the ones that are in Macs uh, for now. For now. <laughs> but they are, uh, it, it's, I, I don't wish, you know, I, I'm glad I'm not the guy who's in charge of the new CEO at Intel. It's like, good yeah. luck, buddy. Well, even on the server end of things, you see companies moving to ARM in the cloud for all the same reasons it's good in mobile, right? They're small, they're cool, they don't require as much power. Yeah, which, Intel, which in a giant server configuration is, uh, you know, even like minute changes in power efficiency are huge. <laughs> hmm. It's, uh, Intel's got to get get that stuff straightened out or they're going to be uh, more and more irrelevant as the industry changes around them. All right. Uh, I want to talk about uh, a flood of rumors about things that Apple is doing. But uh, first, I want to take a break and tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom. Pingdom is brilliant. Why? They help keep your site and the sites that you love on the internet, online. Pingdom monitors your site so you don't have to. It's like how we watch the headlines. And they give you real-time feedback so you know what's going on at all times. So the internet is awesome. Computers are great, right? Except, no, they're not. They're not great. Computers will betray you. Computers will destroy you and all that you love. I Maybe I've been watching The Terminator a little too much. My point is computers break. Software breaks, hardware breaks. It happens. Things go down on the internet. Pingdom detects 13 million outages every month. That's 13 million betrayals by our enemies, the computer. 400,000 betrayals every day. Whether you're a startup or your Fortune 500 company, it doesn't matter. Computers don't care. They're going to mess up. They're going to break. And you need alerts about any critical website issues. That's what Pingdom does. They track and analyze your website's load time as well because maybe the computers are just playing a slowdown game to annoy you and your users. You can see what the computers are doing to betray you and solve it. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. You just need to give them a URL. And uh, that's it. They do the rest. They'll monitor it. They'll make sure that your site is up and running. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. You can get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, because yes, your computer will betray you, one day your server will do something bad. Use this code, download. At checkout, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for helping us fight the eternal scourge of unreliable servers everywhere and for supporting download. Okay, Stephen, Apple, a flood of Apple things. Our friend uh, Guy Rambo at 9to5Mac has apparently got a source <laughs> that has the next version of Mac OS. Uh, and also maybe he's got sources about iOS uh, 13 as well, because there's been a flood of stories on 9to5Mac about changes that are coming to the Mac iTunes being deprecated in favor of standalone music podcast and uh, TV apps brought over from iOS using the Marzipan technology that lets iOS apps uh, be modified to run uh, on the Mac as native-ish Mac apps. Um, also, uh, iPad display features, which is pretty cool thinking of something like Luna Display, the idea that, uh, or Duet Display or any of the other kind of 
uh, products that do this where you can use an iPad as a secondary display for the Mac, be able to send apps over and display them or use an Apple Pencil to draw in a Mac app by displaying it on uh, an iPad. That's another feature that, that, that they're apparently working on. And they, um, and, and there's also a revamp to uh, find my iPhone and find my friends. That's also kind of interesting. So lots, lots of, uh, lots of stuff here. Um, what jumps out at you as a, uh, you know, most intriguing rumored development uh, from Apple on the Mac side. I think the the biggest story to me still is the the continued march towards the iPad and the Mac being more similar. Apple has said they're not going to combine them, but with Marzipan bringing iPad apps to the Mac, and it seems like some of this other stuff making the Mac and iPad more fluid to move between each other. Uh, I think all of that is super interesting because that's like big picture stuff, right? Like, yes, dark mode in iOS 13 will be incredible, but that's not like a big picture fundamental like shift in Apple's strategy. And those are always the things that I'm most interested in, in, in particular with the Mac. So if Apple can continue to carve out ground for the Mac to be different from iOS and a super set of iOS, which I think is the way you've said it before, I think that that is extremely interesting to me as someone who is a Mac user and continues plans to continue to be a Mac user. So being able to pick up my iPad pro and, and carry on from what I was doing on the Mac and vice versa more easily with some of this window sharing stuff. uh, That's, that's good. It seems like a, an evolution of the continuity features they've had before. Yeah, I agree. It is. I mean, I use, um, I use Luna display some, uh, sometimes as a uh, remote access to a Mac Mini, and sometimes as a second display. And I like the idea that Apple's got, like you know, Apple's got phones and tablets and laptops and desktops, and controls the hardware and the software. It is a unique position in the tech world. They should take advantage of it, right? And they have done some of that, but not maybe as much as they um, as they should do. Which is why. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's worth them exploring that, even if it does end up, uh, you know, as we used to say, Sherlocking other products. I I, mm-hmm. I would imagine that the story will always be the same, which is Apple will do something that is very simple that provides some basic functionality, and there will still be room for everybody else to build more complex things that do what uh, power users want. Because that generally, you know, if you're somebody, I, I feel like there's still going to be room for the Luna displays of the world in that in that uh, era because Apple's never going to do something that satisf- satisfies everybody. That's just not that's not what they do. They try to try to hit a sweet spot and then they let all the edge cases uh, find another uh, another product to use instead. Um, what do you think about this Apple uh, Apple getting into the device tracking thing of like trying kind of rolling rolling find my friends and find my iPhone together potentially actually adding a little. Uh, little RFID or a little uh, Bluetooth LE tags, like tile kind of things uh, to the to the mix as well. Um, you know, presumably your Apple Watch and your AirPods and everything else that, that already has Bluetooth in it will also work with it, that Apple's trying to um, unify their device finding technology. I think combining find my friends and find my iPhone, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, especially in the iCloud family sharing context where it's like my wife and I have that. And so I can see not only where she is and find my friends, but I can also see like where her devices are if I log in to find my iPhone. But it's always struck me as odd that those things are separate. So combining those makes sense to me and adding something like, like tile, which is that product, you know, 
Bluetooth tags, you're sticking your suitcase and stuff. Bringing that into it makes sense to me too. You know whether Apple would make the hardware for that, like in, like actual tags, or they would partner with other companies to make them. I don't know, but I think it makes sense to expand that capability, especially if they could do something where you know maybe those tags are more than just Bluetooth. So, like, what if they had some sort of like you know GPS? In them, so you could leave one in your car and remember where you parked your car because Apple Maps can never remember. I can see a lot of different types of uses for that. I just, the biggest question for me is: Does Apple make it, or do they partner? Right, like they, they, it could just be we've we have we're working with a friend because is that uh, a product that is big enough? They're like they're not going to make airport base stations anymore, but they're going to make little uh, tiles. Mm-hmm. Bingo. <laughs> Seems exactly. a little weird, but I do like the idea of uh, of getting all those things in one place. And, uh, you know, they did add AirPods to uh, find my uh, iPhone, basically, mm-hmm. find my stuff. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think a unified interface where everybody kind of expects that they're going to be able to find their Apple stuff is uh, is a good idea. And the Bluetooth technology has made it a little bit better where, you know, you can see if it's connected to somebody and then you lose connection, you can say, well, that's where I last saw it. And, you know, it's usually where you last saw it unless somebody mm-hmm. moved it that does happen sometimes but Th- that it, that is how things work <laughs> yeah yeah i like that and also the idea that you know you might have a little beacon a little bluetooth beacon and the, so the other part of this is what they want to do and there there's privacy implications here but they've mostly been worked out by by other companies already is you can actually uh, find items based on proximity to uh, other people's apple devices and I'm sure there will be a whole layer of opt-ins and opt-outs that would happen here. But according to this report, one of the things they're exploring is this idea that there are Apple devices everywhere. So if you lose your um, AirPods case in the you know cushions at your local coffee shop and leave, and you can't find your AirPods, but somebody else with the latest version of iOS is at that coffee shop, and it sees this device, and this all happens sort of silently in the background, it sees this device with this Bluetooth ID, low energy, putting out a ping, and it uploads that to Apple and says, well, at this time, in this place, I saw this thing. Mm-hmm. And that that ends up, you know, they know whose thing that is, and they route it back to you, and suddenly you've got this thing that's not on the internet, and is nowhere near your devices, and you know where it is. And that's the promise of this, like whether it's the at the coffee shop example, or it's like in a in an airport somewhere, like where's my where's my checked bag, where did it go? Um, that you would be able to do this with the with the power of um, billions of Apple devices, you know, theoretically that are out there listening for this stuff and that that's really interesting too right because it 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 goes back to the fact that apple's technology is so um ubiquitous that um they they can take advantage of that in a way that like a third party with a little tile you know kind of tracker can't do because they they have a very limited number of users and apple could put this in the base os and have it everywhere i think that'd be really interesting if they opened it up that way it's not something i'd considered but it makes a lot of sense it's possible. I don't know. I mean, it, it, the question is like the privacy things. But if you're literally just doing this thing where one of the things, you know, and you opt in or whatever, but one of the things that your iPhone does is if it sees these, 
these low, you know, low level, low, en- low energy Bluetooth pings. And basically says, says, sends every 30 seconds or every couple of minutes, it sends us a little summary that says, here's where, here's where I am and here's what I saw. And that gets, you know, privatized. And it's not about who sent it. It's just that this device saw it in this place and, and, uh, they create a map. Now, presumably part of the implication of that would be that Apple would need to say like, here's what we don't do because Apple could like literally get, they already have some of this, right? But it's like literally they could get a map of where everything, every device that exists is in real time. That would be something. Would. But they have some of that already because they know everything. All right. Uh, we are going to take one more break and then bring in our special guest for episode 100. It's Lisa Schmeiser. And before we do that, let me tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Download is also brought to you by Away. You know, there's an Away suitcase sitting in my bedroom right now because I'm about to take a trip. Away makes smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. More battery in their carry-ons. You get a battery that pops right in and out of your carry-on. I have two of those. We liked the first one so much we went and bought a second one. Go to awaytravel.com slash download now and you can browse all their different suitcases. They are built out of premium German polycarbonate it's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and it's still super lightweight they have 10 colors they have five sizes carry-on bigger carry-on kids carry-on a medium and a large and because they cut out the middleman you can get first class luggage at coach prices that's an airline metaphor away suitcases have a patent pending compression system it's great if you're an overpacker 360 degree spinner wheels you will never go back once you've used these wheels they're so good They're compliant with all major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack. There are TSA combination locks built in. There's a removable, washable laundry bag. I love that because I love to sequester my clean clothes from my smelly, dirty, worn clothes and keep them apart on the trip as long as I can. But really, my favorite feature is probably the wheels. God, I love those wheels. They're so good. Uh, And the compression system. You uh, pull a couple of straps. You can get so much into even a regular carry-on. I don't I, you know, unless I'm traveling for a very long period of time, I really uh, just avoid the the check bag and I use my Away carry-on instead. Away believes in the quality of their products. They have a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks on your Away suitcase, they will fix or replace it for life. And there's a 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy. So you can try it out and see if you like it. Free shipping on any order in the lower 48 states of the U.S. So go to awaytravel.com slash download and use the code download to check out to get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash download and the code download for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of download all of relay fm and uh, i'm gonna go put some more clothes in my suitcase as soon as we're done okay it is time to welcome in our special guest number one in the list of people who've been on the show the the most often it's lisa schmeiser hello (laughs) hi thanks for having me again yes again you're here 100 (laughs) episodes and about like 80 of them with you so thank you for being (laughs) that's not entirely accurate but it's closer than you might think you have been on a full it looks like a one-fifth of our episodes so congratulations and thank you for being a part of this podcast um uh, topics that I wanted to talk about. I, I feel like it's not an episode of Download if we don't talk about terrible things that happen on social media. <laughs> because that is uh, kind of our brand. So first off, uh, there's a story about Facebook from NBC News that I wanted to mention. Uh, I, you know, 
so this is a reporting based on some leaked documents by Olivia Solon and our old pal Sarus Farovar, uh, who used to work at Macworld back in the day before he went to Ars Technica, and now he's at NBC News, digging into documents that reveal uh, even more that, you know, basically Facebook uh, selling user data was a business plan it was that uh, mark zuckerberg was often referred to as the king of leverage that there were lots of game of thrones references um that there are uh emails saying things like this policy would be good for the world but wouldn't be good for us i'm not sure how much is new in the report some detail but it does seem to feed all of our impressions about how facebook you know not what they say but what they do Mm-hmm. Um, what I haven't seen, and I don't know if either of you saw it too, has has Facebook done one of those uh, damage control blogs on this story yet, or have they let this one go? Because that's that's we we do a lot of uh, links to Facebook blogs where they try to do damage control about the latest painful thing. But anyway, Facebook is, I guess, who we thought they were uh, as mm-hmm. far as the these leaked documents go, right? Yep, I don't think they've done damage control this time. I read the NBC story. I also read the Wired story that came out recently about Facebook. Um, they're, they're Anna's Horribles in 2018. Right. And um, I wonder if they have just decided that, you know, instead of trying to do damage control, which will be received in bad faith anyway, let's just not engage and not say anything because that works for other companies sometimes. And um, the other thing you're considering is – Nobody goes anywhere. Facebook hasn't really seen a drop off in engagement. No one is quitting Instagram because they hate the parent company. Uh, so why do they even need to respond at this point? Yeah, I, I, boy, that's depressing. But you're right. Well, you, yeah, it's, it, you know, and I'm sorry, it does sound depressing. I suspect that at some point these guys get called back into Congress because, um, the political mood and the national mood seems to be such where tech is being pointed at as an engine of as an engine of inequality and and a root of social ills and um it's it's basically taking the roles that um you know the railroad companies and big oil took at, during the last gilded age so i think we're going to see a lot more show trials um in congress and a lot more regulate this break up that but we have um you know, I mean, the truth is people look at Facebook and they've already made the calculation where they're like, meh, they have my data. So what? Like people don't have a conception of what their data is worth. And so since they don't know what's worth anything, they don't care that someone else is using it to make money. And um, also, if your social life is entwined on these platforms or if you make your living on these platforms, what incentive do you have to um, make yourself uncomfortable and leave them alone? <laughs> Yeah. So it's 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 um it's amazing how sticky it is in in terms of being an ecosystem. Like you know, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. My daughter's Girl Scout troop. We post all of the events that we're going to do on a closed Facebook group, and we post photos from the events when they're done. And it's a watering hole for people to coordinate carpools and share information. And I have thought, you know, gosh, should I take it off? Because I you know, we're giving Facebook all this data. And then the idea of trying to coordinate with like 14 other families in some other medium to do everything that we can do on Facebook is just like, oh, God, no. (laughs) Everybody knows how to use Facebook. Trying to train everybody to use some other tool would be exhausting. And that's how they get you, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and they know it. They they Mm -hmm. know it. It, it, I think you mentioned, uh, 
governments and regulations, and we've talked about that a lot, and it does yeah. feel like the only way that there is going to be change here, like Facebook is going to change itself, probably not in the face of bad news coverage so much as the threat of regulation and mm-hmm. of them having to be called before Congress and, and uh, they're going to want to negotiate a way that they can move forward. They, they have yeah. such a huge position in the market mm-hmm. that they have... They have money to spend. They have chips that they can throw in and say, okay, we won't do this and won't do that and still end up. I mean, the the really scary prospect, and this has come up with some of the European regulations mm-hmm. that have gone into effect or are going mm-hmm. into effect, is that in the end, the regulations that are supposed to act as a break on the power of giant companies like Facebook will, you know, maybe limit their behavior some, but will also prevent anybody else from being a rival into the market, to yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's not great. Uh, yeah. Well, I think another thing that we're, we're seeing, and you'll see this more, I think, in the next two years, two to four years, because, you know, see also national mood, et cetera, et cetera, is, um, and, and I, and disclosure, I cover this company. So I've been watching this with some interest is it's been fun and interesting watching Microsoft get out in front of what they perceive as um, issues that are going to go up for regulation, like face recognition technology, because uh, or or AI and how to use it, how to deploy it, uh, how it should be in, in industries and privacy and um, who owns your data. Because Microsoft has been super aggressive with defining the legal rights of with what the, with 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 their with their narrative on defining the legal rights of like what company owns data. They've already had suits with governments regarding. You know, no, this data is in our cloud. Our cloud belongs to us. You can't get into our cloud. You don't have jurisdiction. Like they've done that. They've started making a lot of statements about uh, right to privacy and what that should entail. And I am pretty sure that their thinking is if we get out ahead of these issues and frame the terms of the debate, we are in a better position to write laws that will not hurt us. <laughs> and you contrast that with a company like Amazon, which still seems shocked that people might want to actually regulate things like their facial recognition technology. And I think, you know, I think we're, we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of tech companies, uh, identify their priorities and where they start talking about certain civil liberties. That's when you can like dig a little deeper and go, okay. What's the business interest in this? I mean, take a look at how Tim Cook has been positioning Apple in privacy for what, three to four years now? They, they got into it after the San Bernardino shooting with the FBI, remember? Where they were like, no, we're not going to jailbreak this phone for you. Um, right. right. Yeah. And Tim Cook has been laying the groundwork for privacy. And now Apple started working it into their branding in a real, in a really, um, mainstream way. Like, Phil was watching some basketball and I was just surprised how every commercial break had the, uh, the, the Apple commercial where you see the Apple logo get the little lock on top to indicate that it's your mobile phone. It's your mobile ecosystem. You have total privacy. And I was like, Oh my God, this is it. And so if Facebook, um, stops assuming that they can do whatever they want, which actually does seem to be their biggest weakness as a business and starts and, and starts defining their, 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 um, their issues. I think that's when we actually have to worry in Washington because do you, do you want to be the one who has Facebook writing what turns out to be like your user data protection laws? 
<laughs> yeah, and that's, that's often how yeah. this will work, right? Is yeah, that their lobbyists exactly. will write the rules. Speaking of priorities mm-hmm. of social media companies, we should also mention so Twitter has, <laughs> has has done its own little things this year. So they they did a, a healthier Twitter report about mm-hmm. how they are re- trying to uh, reduce the amount of abusive uh, content on their service. How they are, uh, I think they're hiding. Uh, they're they're trying to speed along of reporting. They're trying to hide content that's potentially bad. They're uh, changing their rules. They posted a they posted a, a whole blog post about that, which is interesting. Also, by the way, uh, at the same time, uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, the the CEO of Apple or Apple, sorry, of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh my no. god! Oh, can you imagine? Oh, no. Everybody, the CEO of Twitter uh, said that uh, the company was looking to change the focus of Twitter from following people to tracking topics of interest, to which I believe basically users of Twitter said, you don't no. understand your own product, do you? <laughs> Even a little. But we knew that. Yeah. I feel he, like He's this, describing Reddit This is the, theme, the internet at large. This is yeah. the theme of this segment, which is... Um, Okay, yeah, they are as bad as we thought they were. That they yeah. like Twitter. The knock was always they don't really understand their own product, and this seems to just emphasize that they don't understand how people use their product. No, <laughs> is it self hating or is it just like they're, they're they they are the wrong product, and so they're trying to find another angle where they can be a different product? But like you know, the one to one maybe, and as Twitter users, maybe we're not the audience. He's really saying, I want to find yeah. people who don't use Twitter and say, follow a topic, and you'll get some Twitter things. Which maybe that's a, a growth strategy. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to imagine what's the value add to that. Like, you just get to listen to the conversations that other people are having about things. It's a stream of of. I mean, Twitter is good in real time and tracking certain topics. Uh, you know, it's not how I use Twitter, but you know, I could see if you're some random person who doesn't use Twitter being told, you know, would you like to follow the presidential election or follow the you know Tour de France or whatever your topic is or topics, and see just kind of like a, a, a you know machine learning algorithm derived top tweets about that subject because you're not talking to anybody and you're not really following anybody but that's not yeah. quite twitter that's sort of that's like a different BuzzFeed. product like buzzfeed that's- has the 18 thirstiest reactions to game of thrones <laughs> tweets and like Actually, you, you maybe are, that's that Twitter's feeling, eats. right? Is yeah, we want to, yeah. we want to, we don't want other people curating our tweets and making articles out of them. We want to do that. We, that. Yeah. we're generating all that content. We want to be the ones to do that. Yeah. Maybe. I, Cause, you know, you're talking about now, I've got a couple of friends who don't, um, go on Twitter and most of them are like, yeah, it's a mental health thing and I don't need it. I don't want it. And, um, one woman was like, you guys just send me any tweet I need to read, or I'm going to see it in a news article anyway. So there's really no reason for me to have to wade through a sea of things I don't want to see because the valuable stuff is going to surface anyway. And part of me is like, this is probably a generational thing because if you've come of age pre-social media, pre-internet, you're like, yeah, I, I, I want gatekeepers to filter things out. Whereas maybe people who you know, have been doing this since the crater, like, no, the stream is the point. But all I can think is with Twitter, I try to control my experience on Twitter as tightly as possible. Like I have lists of people I've blocked just because even seeing them retweeted um, derails my mood or irritates me because they're putting crap out in the world I don't want to see. And the idea that Twitter would take this away and be like, no, nope, you know, who you follow, who you have relationships with on Twitter, that doesn't matter. What matters is we think you're interested in these five topics. And so we're going to populate your feed with this. That would be horrible. 
you know, that would take away the last vestiges of the illusion of control I have as a user on that system. And that's really one way that Twitter is different from these other places, right? That you, if you just follow your timeline or if you use a third-party client that doesn't have all the other junk in it, you are just seeing stuff from people you follow. There's there's maybe an algorithm promoting certain tweets over others, but it is not something like Facebook or Apple News or whatever that is sort of bubbling up individual pieces of content. And that maybe Twitter sees that as a disadvantage, but as someone who's been on the platform forever, I view it as like the one reason I'm still there is that I can follow my friends and like select things that I want to to see every day. I I do kind of wonder though, if the, if this is something they're really looking at, which you always have to like remember that context about Jack Dorsey. Sometimes he just says things and they're not ever going to make it out, but they do have the system of Twitter moments and and trends, which I don't look at very often, but like, so today's the day that some big like political news happened that we're not going to get into. And I was just curious. So I went to the trends both worldwide and in the U S and that news was taking all 10 slots, right. In various hashtags and, and phrases. And they do like Twitter does have this unique ability to reflect whatever is happening in the world, right? Like they had like the, uh, the terrible fire in Paris earlier this week that dominated Twitter for two days. Twitter responds to things in the world. And if they could harness that, what if there was a way for me to say, hey, I want to see you know, the interesting things people are saying about this news story. That could be interesting, but I don't think Twitter is the company as a company has the know-how to do that in a way that wouldn't be abused. Yeah, exactly. That's a really great insight. Um, we canceled cable a few weeks ago, like our, our, uh, rented DVR from Xfinity broke and we realized we're like, eh, it's, it's, it's our, 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 our consumption patterns have shifted. And, um, when the Notre Dame fire happened, it occurred to me that if it had happened 10 years ago, we probably would have turned on cable just to watch the footage. And now we didn't have to because we've got all of these people who were tweeting images from the site or, uploading and tweeting videos like i saw a really moving video of a group of parisians uh singing a hymn at the site in response to what happened and i thought to myself yeah twitter has basically taken over the function that cable news used to have where they were live on the site they told you what was going on um they replayed footage and so on and so forth the difference is now you can edit your feed and get a perspective on the footage whereas before cable was the one that was editing the feed to you and giving you their perspective uh but i just don't trust the company uh <laughs> they haven't they're they're frustratingly opaque to work with one of my colleagues recently got banned from twitter for like a week he has no idea why the nearest <laughs> he can figure out is he was like i had scheduled a bunch of tweets to go out in hootsuite and they thought i was a robot and they banned me but watching him try to get his account back and try to figure out is there a human being i can talk to is there an email is there anybody I can email um Again, the company is frustratingly opaque. They don't communicate with their users. There's no sense that um, they are invested in giving anybody anything resembling a user experience. And then you've got the CEO at the top who's busy making vague and wafty statements about conversations and potential and this and that. And again, buddy, no, like... <laughs> 
is there anyone at your company who's doing user research who who anyone will listen to? Because <laughs> it's the disconnect between what the, the management seems to do with this this product or this website and what people on the website are doing on it is is really profound. Yeah, it's, I'm, it, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other tech company where there's such a, a, a an enormous and noticeable gap between what leadership is willing to say over and over again versus what people who actually use the product are saying about it. I feel like Twitter is the proverbial what happens if the dog catches the car mm-hmm. <laughs> where they they got they didn't know quite what they were doing but they mm-hmm. they were chasing a big audience and they created a thing that has huge impact at least in certain certain circles um and but it's really like well now what and they have no idea because again their their whole concept led them to this point and uh you know possibly by accident and now they don't know mm-hmm. what to do with their service and that's that <laughs> and that's been the case for years now so yeah. if you see a dog uh, holding on to the bumper. rear bumper of a car that just yeah. think it's Jack Dorsey back there. Um, we have <laughs> we have more to talk about a little bit more. A fascinating story from the world of smartphones. But first, it's time for our story. You might have missed something that may have flown under the radar this week, but that we think is worth your time. And Stephen, you've got our story for this week. I do I use Chrome on the desktop? Please hold your opinions for later. And uh, one thing that I miss when I'm using it that safari has is a reader mode so you've all seen this <gasps> i especially. love reader mode it's great i use it all mm-hmm. the time on ios so if, you know mm-hmm. it just kind of puts the text and images in a nice format it's easy to read hides a bunch of junk that web publishers do and chrome on the desktop doesn't have it and there are a couple of plugins that i've experimented with over the years that try to do it and none of them in my opinion work the way that i want them to but uh in today's version of canary which is like experimental super beta don't run this every day version of chrome there is a reader mode that includes uh various color schemes which is really nice i like a dark sort of reader mode especially on my iphone uh text to speech text resizing options and so this looks like it is uh it is coming uh it's it's in chrome on android it's been there for a while but seems like they're porting it to the desktop and that makes me excited. And if you use Chrome, uh, you know, generally things in early Canary releases end up in the public version. It's not immediate. You know, this may still be a couple of months away, but it looks like it, it could be heading our way, which I give a thumbs up to. It's awesome. Um, for those who use Chrome, like you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, I need, uh, I need my browser to work, Jason. Yeah, so I'm, I, so I'm I use Chrome on the desktop. It's the only thing our internal CMS will work with. And so mm. it's just become the default. And now I can strip all the the the, the monkey shines out. That's excellent. Mm. I'm just going to withhold comment. Um, so uh, one more one more topic in this episode, and it is uh, I could not go without us at least mentioning the Samsung Galaxy Fold. We've been talking about folding phones, and that have their they're coming and they're real, and we're going to get our hands on them this year. Well, you know, people who spend two thousand dollars are going to get their hands on them this year. Reviewers were seated with the new Samsung Galaxy Fold. And within a couple of days, multiple reviewers, uh, this includes Dieter Bone at The Verge, it includes Mark Gurman of Bloomberg, it includes uh, Steve Kovach of, what, Business Week? I forget exactly. And Marques Brownlee, uh, MKBHD. Um, it is 
not good uh, because not that they don't like the phone, but because many of them reported that it broke, that they had problems with the hinge, that the screen was getting deformed or things were poking through the screen. And uh, for some of them, there was also a, a layer that looked like a screen protector or a you know, something that sh- the product ships in. You know how sometimes you go to your uh, your relatives' houses and they've got like a new TV or something, and then and then when they're not looking, you peel off the giant plastic thing that they never mm-hmm. took off. That's all the way oh, around the bezel so of the TV. Satisfying. I love that. Uh, well, <laughs> don't do that on the Samsung Galaxy Fold because that layer is apparently there to hold the screen together and make it not make it functional. And uh, some people said that they had labels on theirs that said "Don't peel this off," and other people said they didn't. And guess what? Some people peeled it off anyway so uh things poking through the screen uh screen bending screen breaking half the screen stopping working and this is after two days with experienced tech reviewers using it and um this seems really bad that's that basically what i I wanted to say here is this is a two thousand dollar product and we knew it was going to be weird but if two days with it causes terrible problems for for many tech reviewers it seems like maybe this product isn't ready to go uh steven you have a uh yeah what were your thoughts as you saw these tweets rolling in the other day i mean i find it exhausting when uh, one camp of like tech enthusiasts attacks another company for reasons that are silly but this may be the exception Boy, howdy. to that rule for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so Samsung has said that, you know, like, like you mentioned, this protective layer is not supposed to come off. They're putting stickers on Don't peel this shipping off. phones. Don't peel this peel off. Peel this sticker off, but not the sticker under but it. not the other one. Uh, you could say that some people find the Galaxy Fold very appealing and they just want to take it right oh. off. But mm. you can't do no. it because uh, this screen is is new, right? Like it's, it's plastic, which is interesting and it has to do all this stuff. And clearly it's just a different type of technology than we're used to. I 100% would have tried peeling this off because I hate these things. Yeah. And it's a, a joy to remove them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you're buying a $2,000 experimental phone. You are accepting that you are living on the edge, but this, this, if the, if this becomes a problem for people who actually get the phone, like say, okay, these reviewers did it and now we know not to do it. And then they're fine. Even though the Verge's phone, they did not take this off and their screen still failed. Yes. Maybe, maybe Dieter's was an outlier. Time will tell as always, but, uh, it's not a great first step. We'll just leave it there. Not a great first step. No, and they pick which, you know, like they're they're taking, it's not random phones, like theoretically, they're taking ones that they've checked out and they make sure are good and then giving them to the reviewers, right? That's like mm-hmm. product reviewer 101 is you give the ones that are working to the reviewers, even if the mm, they're not all working. And in this case, no. And, and, and I mean, there'll be a product warranty in something like if this thing literally can't last a few days, then you'll buy it and then you'll, you'll get your money back because it's not going to work. They're not you know they they would have to fix it and eventually they're going to say no we can't fix it and and give up but i i just i i really wonder now knowing this if this is if they're really going to try to roll this product out to people i think this is a case where being first is probably worse is is the worst thing you can do <laughs> because everybody gets to watch you screw up and then figure out how to do it better um to be honest i still feel like folding phones are kind of a weird bridge technology um 
in, in that it's trying to solve one problem, which is, oh, you, your phone is your primary computing device. Therefore, you need a big screen because you're doing a lot of stuff on it. But maybe the issue is how people are using their phones and there should be a different technology solution that we're looking at instead. Um, and what, it, what Dieter yeah. said when he got yeah. the thing before it broke was it was pretty cool to have a, an iPad a tablet that, that folds, an iPad that could fold up. Um, he yeah. did point out it's so long that it, it's like a remote control size when yeah. it's folded, so it like sticks well, out. Even if you've got big so pockets, it, it sticks pocket. out of your pocket. Yeah. yeah. So and and this is the thing I was thinking about is you're also going to have to treat it much more carefully than you treat your phone since um, it's bigger. It's for it's got parts that can break like the hinge too you know everyone's focusing on the the peely plastic stuff but this is a phone that's hinged and the first time a hinge snaps one way or another it it reduces the functionality that you're paying two thousand dollars two thousand dollars for and i'm like maybe what we should be focusing on instead is is um our, our mobile devices that that I don't know. Like, I'd love to see something almost like a Lego model where you have different parts you can just snap into place as, as needed and then disassemble as needed too. And they're tough. So you can take them places. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Google tried that and, you know, it didn't pan out, but something like that does seem more interesting from a longevity standpoint than a phone that lasts two days. Yeah. Cause Lenovo has been doing that with some of their, um, stuff in the enterprise where it's basically like a little technology stack where you can snap uh, storage drives on top of a CPU, or you can snap a uh, projector on top of that as well. And, and I, I loved the idea that you've got these small single function pieces of technology. You can mix and match and make up your own stack without having to do a lot of complicated networking. And um, it's weird to me. We, we call them mobile phones because obviously this is how they were debuted. But what we've got basically is a mobile computing platform that people are using for entertainment or for communication, um, you know, in both text or photos or, or talking, or they're using it for email or productivity or for creativity. And like the, the Lego model, the more I think about it, the more I think, wow, the Lego model makes sense. Like I'm never going to use my phone for games, but somebody else might use theirs for their, for, for, that's all they do on theirs. So why not give them the ability to mix and match the parts and, and Lego together their own little, you know, gaming texting device. And I can Lego together my little reading communication device. Yeah. But it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't work though, because everybody wants things to be thin and light and, and the Lego parts don't work like that. So instead it's going to be, let's make them well, or it's going to, let's make them cheap enough that you can just have, you can, and the variety enough that you can pick the one you want or the two you want and keep them around and all of that. I don't know. It it is, I expected the galaxy fold to be weird, but this is like a really, this is like red alert kind of signal here. And I'm not, I'm not doing the, you know, point and laugh Samsung thing. This is like, whoa, how did it get to this point where, where they, where they seeded these to reviewers and didn't expect this to happen? They didn't know this was going to happen. They thought that this was ready to go to reviewers because with a reviews program, you are putting your best foot forward. And I, I like, how is it that this was not uh, uncovered? And if it was uncovered before they seeded the reviewers, why did they seed the reviewers, right? Like, why would yeah. you do that? It's also notable that we're, we're, we're talking basically about the form factor of the phone and all of the different ways it can break. And we haven't talked once about what anyone has said about the experience of using the phone. Yeah. Well, I mean, they only got to use it for a little bit and then their phones broke. But I mean, they, they were 
like I said, they were very, fairly positive. They said that the fold, there is a bend, and in certain light, you can see the bend in the screen, but that it wasn't uh, a problem when they were using it, and it was nice to have that tablet, although, as we mentioned, it's got that long remote control kind of kind of thing where it doesn't really fit in your pocket. I don't know. We will see whether the Galaxy Fold maybe gets a little delayed or what happens next with that, because, uh, again, the peeling off the screen is something you can solve with more stickers, because uh, no, everybody loves stickers. And <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, in fact, they could just provide a whole other like sticker and say, just stick this somewhere and then unstick it and that'll feel good. To, uh, but don't unstick the one sticker that's holding the whole phone together. Um, but the fact that Dieter's phone like, yeah, had holes poked through it and stuff. It's not good. Not good. Um, all right. Um, before we go, I want and, and wrap up episode 100. I want to share an innovation that we came up with at some point during the run. I don't remember how how long in before we, we some depressing Facebook story made me invent the fuzzy puppy update. But here we are. People love it. And in fact, they love it so much that two listeners, Siddharth and Matt, both set in this story from the BBC, put it in the show notes. A dog was discovered by a team of oil rig workers off the coast of Thailand, 135 miles off the coast. A dog swam by. And they're like, what? They think maybe the dog was on a fishing boat or something like that. It's hard to imagine the dog swam 135 miles, but the dog is out in the ocean and they fished the dog out and they fed it water and they got it uh, they got it food and water and 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 cleaned it up and then uh in one of my favorite little little bits they lifted it uh by crane the dog <laughs> to an oil ship that was passing through the area and then that they transported the dog to a vet in southern thailand on the oil ship and the the dog is apparently doing well and the story has lots of cute dog pictures but um i i think this is uh, as fuzzy puppy a story as you can get they spot very nice oil rig workers who spotted a dog pulled it out of the water took care of it, put it, lifted it by crane to another ship and deposited it uh, back on shore to be cared for by a vet. And, uh, good job. Thank you to our listeners for sending that in. That was a perfect episode 100 Fuzzy Puppy update. Fantastic. All right. I think we're at the end. Lisa Schmeiser, where can people find you and uh, your stuff? Uh, are you on terrible <laughs> social media sites? <laughs> was about to say just go to twitter at l-s-c-h-m-e-i-s-e-r that's usually the best place um to jump off to my stuff excellent excellent mm-hmm. and you can follow <laughs> concepts and clouds while you're there <laughs> jack dorsey has his way uh, uh steven thank you 100 episodes pleasure as always yes sir and uh yeah let's hear it for people with 10 fingers and 10 toes and base one mm-hmm. base 10 counting system because that makes this episode a milestone we will be back next week with more headlines uh, but until then we'll keep watching those headlines so you don't have to goodbye everybody <laughs>